Hello everyone, it's Scott from the Gen X Playback Show. Welcome back to part two of our episode on Name That Tune, the Billboard Top 40 from January 31st, 1987. And we are ready to count down the top 20. So we're going to go from 20 to number one in one of the best top 40 countdowns, I think, of the entire decade, top to bottom. This one has a lot of good stuff in it. And I really enjoyed 40 to 21, and I think you also really enjoy 20 to number one. A little bit of surprises, uh, some songs that you have definitely heard many times over the years. But the cool thing about music is it kind of takes you back, and especially a top 40. There's so many songs there from one year, and it kind of helps you reminisce from that particular year so. For us Gen Xers, we're looking back at 1987. This would be Sean's high school senior year. And even though it wasn't my senior year, I still really enjoyed it also. One of my favorite countdowns of all time. So sit back and relax and enjoy part two of January 31st, 1987, as we begin with song number 20. See you soon. All right, so we got number go the, the top twenty left in January thirty first, nineteen eighty seven. Um, just to give you a quick rundown, um, just of the last previous five songs. Number twenty five was "Talk to Me" by Chico DeBarge. Number twenty four, Notorious Duran Duran. Number twenty three, Jacob's Ladder, Huey Lewis in the News. Number twenty two, Nobody's Fool by Cinderella, and "Stop the Love" by Luther Vandross. Number twenty one. Number twenty is a band that. Had a nice little run here in the United States. This is one of their signature songs. This would be the Jets. Very good. All over you. You got it all. You got it all. Okay. Well, we talked about, uh, you know, I'd mentioned that, you know, Nobody's Fooled by Cinderella being played at a junior high dance. Maybe, maybe not. This one definitely was played at a junior high dance. And I think what is interesting about this song and how it was recorded, the the, the lead singer in this song, when this uh, it's a family band, and they're from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So they had uh, their big hit song was "Crush on You." This was mm-hmm. that was the first one. This was the second single. Um, when the song was recorded, I read that she was only eleven or twelve. When this song was when recorded, this, so she's singing a love song. Really, she was eleven or twelve. She was eleven or twelve. I just assumed she was, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old. No, um, and so she had a very hard time putting like some passion and some emotion into a love. What is this? A love song, right? She's eleven or twelve. <laughs> so the producer had her think of. Her, I think it was like her family cat or family dog. Okay. And that's who she was singing to. Just to try and get that kind of emotion out of her. So it just kind of made me smile to, to hear. I love to hear behind the scenes stories like that. Right. And I just thought that was interesting. You know, she's just like a 12-year-old girl. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a deep voice for a 11, She had a girl. really good voice. I remember that. The, when they did the song uh, Crush on You, sure. it was her and her other sister. And she had the deeper deeper parts and the the, the two sisters that were the, the singers they were the youngest members of the group all the other brothers and sisters were you know in their 
late teens, 20s. Okay. They were much older than them, but that, uh, but they, they were really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. And the Jets, if you if you think back, or pull up like maybe a greatest hits compilation, they had a little bit more out there than people remember. Uh, you know, they they had a song "Rocket to You." Oh that yeah, came out sure. a couple you know later that year. That one. So you know, the Jets had a, had a pretty good career uh, for the for the eighties in, in terms of popular music. But this was definitely one of the bigger ones. And who can forget the music video where she plays the waitress? In oh the yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, that is so what, what, what was that you know with child labor laws how was that working <laughs> well i think she might have been 14 or 15 when the video came out they right. uh the song like i said she was 11 or 12 so i think they had that in the can for a couple of years okay. before it actually came out but that was the jets with you got it all at number 20 this next song at number 19 will eventually go to number one this would be the Bengals walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, it didn't take long for that one. This is one that still gets played probably a little too much. Unfortunately. Yeah. And like Sean, I really liked the Bengals. Yeah. When they were out in the 80s. Sure. I was definitely a fan of the group. I was definitely Susanna Hoffs. Obviously, you know, that was one of those uh, crushes. And she was a part of... One of the documentaries that I was... It might have been that sometimes when we tr- touch, she was okay. in that. Really? She still looks great. Sure. I'm not surprised. But this, yeah, this song goes to number one and is one of the signature songs of the 80s. I think one of the first compilation CDs that I got, it was like 1993 or so. I had just gotten married. And there was a TV commercial. And they're like... Uh, it was like... Buy this compilation disc. Does it wasn't KTEL, but everybody, all Gen Xers, you know what KTEL is. So it was like maybe, maybe, and this was one of the songs that was on there. This and Walking on Sunshine and um, Who Can It Be Now by the you know Men at Work and mm-hmm. this is this is a song like you said gets played an awful lot. And it's probably you know one of my least favorite Bengals songs from the era I mean it, I liked it at the time it was okay and you know it was kind of quirky it, it was a very memorable video but it's I mean it, it doesn't really speak to what the Bengals kind of sounded like back then sure and it was I think it was one of those right place at the right time yeah. kind of songs kind of like Cherry Pie by mm-hmm. Warrant uh, you know it's like uh, you look at the body of work by, by a group and unfortunately there was one song that kind of took over right and took away from the appreciation of some of the other things that they did. Right. So that was number 19, Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. Number 18, one of my favorite artists of all time. And this is a, this is an album that kind of got forgotten about, uh, but is a great, great album by this particular singer. This is Billy Joel. This is Billy Joel. Thank you. Do you remember the album? It's not Stormfront, mm-hmm. is it? Stormfront came out in uh, late 89. 89, yeah. No, I don't remember the album. The Bridge. All right, sure. Okay. Had like a matter of trust on it. Yeah. No, this is this is good. I I really, you know, every once in a while, you know, Sean and I will recommend songs or albums. If you have a chance to go back and revisit, uh, Listen to this song. This is a very deep song. Um, this is a guy, Billy Joel, who's kind of later on in his career. 
And that's, I think, one of the brilliant things when you listen to certain songwriters, Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel come to mind. They, they have right with a sense of their age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when Springsteen's writing earlier in his career, you know, it, it, there's a little bit, there's more optimism. When he writes later in his career, it's more reflection. Sure. And this is a very reflective song by Billy Joel. You know, he's talking about being on the beach with a loved one, and they're, and they're you know, it's it's a different than, um, you know, the optimism of love. It's like you're kind of there already, and now you're you're together as, as a couple. I, it's it's a good song. So where was he at with his relationship with Chrissy Brinkley at this time? They were they were married. Okay. Yeah. So they got together at, during the Innocent Man, which would have been around 1983. Not and that they, early. Yeah. Yeah. Billy famously tells the story that. The night he met Christy Brinkley for the very first time, she was with Elle McPherson and Whitney Houston. Okay. And they, all three of them walked up to him because they were all staying at the same hotel. There was a piano in the bar, and they were in the Bahamas, and he started playing the piano just for fun because he was on vacation. Right. He'd gotten divorced not that long before. And all of a sudden, these three supermodels, because Whitney Houston was there on a modeling job. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so these nervously walk up these to him. three <laughs> models come up and they probably so, were not sure if they should ask him so you know Billy even even says at the time he was trying to decide like who do I ask out do I ask out L or do I ask out Christy because Whitney was way too young but he was he and the song Uptown Girl which famously has Christy Brinkley in the video Originally, it was titled Uptown Girls because he wrote it about Elle McPherson and Christy Brinkley. Okay. So I just thought that was that was interesting. But we're getting away from the bridge here. But this I is, did not know that. This is a great, this is a great uh, song. Very good album from one of my favorite singers of all time, mm-hmm. Billy Joel. All yeah, right. no, I liked it. I liked it back then. I know Sean is going to be in for a treat here because Sean liked this next group. Um, and this is a song that does not get played. We're at number 17 on our top 40 countdown from January 31st, 1987. And he's going to be like, oh man, do I remember this song? But you never hear it anymore. It never really mattered too right. much to me. Take it in, folks. It's ready for the world. That you were just too damned old for me. This was the second single. Oh yeah. Let me love you down. All that really mattered was you were my girlfriend. And baby, that's all that mattered to me. Of course, a lot of people would remember their bigger hit, Oh Sheila. But this song, I still play this one. Yeah, and. It's a shame that, and, and I think that's part of the reason when I do a countdown like this, I'll kind of let the ones that kind of fell away, I let those ones play out maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. Just because, how often do hear you have that bass in the background? How often do you nice. hear, you know, they, you hear a very heavy, kind of a Jimmy Jam, Prince influence the time. It was that Minneapolis music scene, and they were very much affiliated with you know the, the the time and prints mm-hmm. so it's it's you can kind of hear that influence all over a song like this kind of but 
Very well done, sir. Oh, yeah. And this is that, kind of that R&B mm-hmm. that, I, that I love so much. It has such, to me, it's, this song's been redone n- numerous times and by different artists, and uh, this one still holds up every oh, yeah. year. Oh, yeah. No, no, Scott knows me well. I mean, this, is, this was a song that I was really into back in the day. And as I, I just said a little while ago, I still listen to it. It's, I think it's held up really well. Not everything has, you know. I, I, I don't need to hear "Walk Like an Egyptian" again, but I'll, I'll keep coming back to this. You know, there is certain songs have a very era sound to them, but there's a, just enough of kind of that timeless R&B in this. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can you can hear the synthesizer. So if you said, "All right, you know it's mid '80s," yeah, but. The song itself is is pure R and B. Could have been released in the '60s, could have been released in the '90s, and would have been every. I mean, I remember there was a a dance singer in the '90s that redid this, and I think it went to number one. I think it was Nikki French or something like that. Okay, yeah, it made a dance version yeah. of it. So that is "Ready for the World," number seventeen on our top forty countdown. With That's right, Love folks. The uh, the guy who had the you know, wanted to have a, a two-part episode on Don't Call Them Hair Bands, really was into Ready for the World, Let Me Love You Down. Well, I think I think a lot of Gen Xers like just about everything. Absolutely. And that's why this... this and that's why, you know, that's why I enjoy it so much. This countdown yeah. is, is one of the better ones, I right? thought. So, all right, number 16. This was a very big oh, album. See, now, this is one of my my favorite bands and albums ever. I mean, Survivor. Mm-hmm. I actually found this on vinyl. Did you? This did. is this saw Permanent it. Waves. Uh, or, uh, or Vital Signs. Vital Signs, I'm sorry. Yeah. Vital Signs, Permanent Waves is Rush. Yeah, I still listen to Jimmy Jameson. Jimmy Jameson, his first album with the band. I mean, Is This Love? Correct. So this was still Vital Signs, or was this off the, the next I, album? I think, yeah, I think my, right. it was the next one. When album. Seconds Count. Yeah. Yeah. To clarify. Yeah. Yeah, this was the next album, When Seconds Count. But Survivor and, and Jimmy Jameson had, had a pretty strong four-year run there. Yeah. And this came out, this, this was released, remember, Rocky Four was out the year before, and then they came with this follow-up. So when you went from Vital Signs to Rocky Ford to When Seconds Count, it, you, Survivor was, was pretty much all over the charts one way or, at one time or another. I think this sound really sums up what was happening at that time. I mean, it's very polished. It's very, it, it's a nice, tight pop song, but it also has emotion. I mean, so, you know, Jimmy Jameson is singing from the heart, you know, to quote Rob Fisher, singing his heart out. But it's certainly, it's not over the top. It's not overdone. It's something that blends very nicely into a pop song. Yeah, and when we talked about the previous episode in the history of disco and how production really started to take shape, at that, and, and then by the time you get into the 80s, 
there's a lot of, a lot of strong slick producing of songs mm-hmm. which i think was a carryover from the motown to the 70s to the 80s and uh, it even permeated into rock music because remember rock was always considered like edgy and raw well now survivor they were a rock band and and at right after this Def Leppard comes out with Hysteria. So, I mean, we're talking about some very, we're talking about albums that couldn't be any more produced than what they were. Right. And I I, I, I think I have this, the, the, the writers, the, the one player from Survivor's first name, I think it's Jim Peterick. So Jim Peterick and Frankie Sullivan were the, the musical force behind uh, everything that Survivor put out. Uh, you, know, you know, Jim was, you played keyboards and, and Frankie was the guitar player. And, you know, they, they wrote, everything and they were you know just they they had been recruited by stallone you know to write for the rocky three uh you know album and the eye of the tiger and you know it it, they had um even written a a hit for 38 special um out as well i'm trying to blank on which one that was but uh second chance um, no it was before it was one of the earlier ones that that they had and but you know just really good songwriters, and I think that's something that's that's key to a lot of the the artists that we you know have talked about so far. Is if you can write your own songs and produce your own material, you have more of a career. You know where, you know some of the artists where they have to rely on things given to them. You know they might be a flash in the pan. Sure, but you know Survivor, I think that's the key to their success from Eye of the Tiger all the way through what we're listening to right now. Um, I mean, they just were able to consistently crank out good material. Yeah, and we talked about uh, you know timeless songwriting there's nothing very there's nothing dated about the lyrics to a song like is this love i think everybody no matter where they're at in life at some point whether you're a teenager whether you're a young adult whatever people are going to experience heartache they're going to experience love so those songs kind of carry on from from you know decade or generation to generation i think the 38 special song was so caught up in you Oh, okay. I think that's yeah. the one okay. that, that Peterick and, and Sullivan wrote. Okay, yeah. All right, so that was number 16, Is This Love by Survivor, off their When Seconds Count album. Number 15 is another group that people may forget about with some of the other hit songs that they had. They kind of got typecast into one song in particular, which they kind of resent to this day. Very distinctive singer. So this is cool in the gang. Very good. Not positive which one it is just yet. He'll start singing here pretty soon. Victory. Victory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sean's right. This is cool in the gang. Off of their forever album. And. This was kind of the end of the run for them. And, and of course, the song that you're referencing that they get, you know, that they have to play is Celebration. Yes. Uh, which I am so sick of. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, Cool and the Gang, when you're talking early to mid-80s, they were, I think at the time, listening to one of the Casey Kasem countdowns, I think he had thrown a stat out there that around 1985, they were like, they had the second most top tens behind Michael Jackson in the 80s. Really? At that point. Which, 
you know, do people remember that? Because they, they have pro- quite a nice catalog of songs. I know my freshman year in high school was the album that they had before this, which had songs like uh, Joanna on it. Uh, you know, that was it was it was a very popular record that they that they have released. And this was it. This was the last single that they had to reach the top twenty. JT Taylor leaves very soon after this and right. tries to pursue a solo career. And Cool and the Gang pretty much is it as a band. Um, but for them, it was a nice little fifteen-year run because you go to Jungle Boogie in the mid '70s to this. Uh, you're, you're talking about fifteen years. Of course, you know they had hits like "She's Fresh." Yeah. Uh, it, off of that, off of that album that came out in mm-hmm. I think it was 1985. So, uh, yeah, Cool and the Gang again, one of those groups that they kind of hear that little bit of a funky sound to Get them. Down on it. So this was this was a band that could cross over. They could be played in a disco. They could be played in an R&B club. They could be played on the charts. Uh, very song, versatile. Uh, misled. Yes, which which had kind of a hard rock sound to it. That had more of an edge to it. Mm-hmm. When they when they first came out in the early seventies, they had no lead singer. Uh, you know when they when they released the song Jungle Boogie, uh, there's there's really no singing to it. The guy just right. goes, ah, Jungle Boogie, right. which is great. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but J T Taylor didn't actually join the band until I think nineteen seventy nine. Mm-hmm. So they had already been around for about five years. Um, but he certainly gave that kind of that. That funky kind of vibe, that cool vibe. He was mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, Maurice Star from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, you know, that kind of that kind of that cool man. Kind front. of that smooth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because they came out with Ladies' Night and Too Hot. Oh yeah, that's right, Ladies' uh, Night. You know, that was that was in the seventies. So, um, good band, good band. Number fifteen, Cool in the Gang with Victory. Number fourteen, again, the, just the unbelievable diversity. Now we're going slow again. And you'll recognize this guy right away. Ballerina girl. Well, this is Lon Richie. Yes. Uh, you you know, I don't so know if there were too many bigger stars at, at this time. You I mean, a bigger hit maker so than Lionel Richie. What a career this guy had. And I'm kind of glad that he's getting his due with the next with the with the current generation being on American Idol mm-hmm. because it keeps him relevant and this guy had such a career I mean, even before all the success that he had in the 1980s he was with a band as huge as the Commodores right and they were as big as it got in the 70s uh, just a great songwriter great he produced albums he produced Kenny Rogers Kenny Rogers says Lionel Richie had more to do with my career resurgence than me. And just the fact that he was able to, you know, he wrote the song Endless Love that he sang with Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote the song We Are the World for USA for Africa. He had the song uh, um, Can't Stop. Was the album before this, uh, Dancing on the Ceiling, is this album. It was uh, Can't Slow Down. Okay. Can't Slow Down is one of the best-selling albums of the 80s. And... Uh, this song here, Ballerina Girl, he wrote for his daughter, Nicole. Uh, just, a, just a beautiful little ballad. And then Nicole goes on to uh, reality TV fame with her friend Paris Hilton many years later. But uh, just a, I think there's few 
there's this does not really have much of an 80s sound to it in my opinion no this could this could have been a commodore song sure from back in the 70s yeah to me this this because it almost sounds like not granted he's playing on the keyboards but it almost has like a piano feel to it this song could be played on the piano in any in any era any decade i think lionel richie much like phil collins needed to have a few decades between his popularity um and what we're what he's experiencing today with a little bit of a comeback because he was just too hot, just like Phil Collins was too hot. You got sick of the guy after a while. I'm glad you said that because that's a great point. Um, yeah, it, it was almost like he got over, like he got to the point where it was overkill. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of the '80s because I like the Commodores and right. I really embraced his solo career. I mean, totally enjoyed that. You know, at the very beginning, and then at this point of the '80s, I'm starting to say, okay, yet another. Lionel Richie, Love Ballad. Okay. Well, that was number 14, Ballerina Girl by Lionel Richie. Number 13 on our countdown. It's a pretty significant album for this band. First, we're talking Chicago. Produced by David Foster. By David Foster. Who I mistakenly called Richard Foster on one of our first episodes. <laughs> so this is after Peter Cetera. Correct. Because that's, that's not Peter Cetera singing. Correct. And I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name. Yeah. And I feel bad about it. I think he's still in the band, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. What's the name of this song? Will You Still Love Me? Okay. This was the first single off of the Chicago 18 album, which was post Peter Cetera. So this would have been one of those, you know, kind of guilty pleasure types of songs where I I never had any problem admitting to anybody if I like a song or not. I, I could care less what people think. But this isn't necessarily one that I was going to champion. Okay. But I liked you know, when I'd hear it, I, I wouldn't change the station. I, I never owned it. You know, if the video came on, I stayed and watched it. But I, um, you know, it wasn't something I was like, hey, you got to hear the latest Chicago song. See, I like Chicago oh, a yeah, lot. Yeah. I did. I really like Chicago. And, I, I, and again, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Uh, but when, because David Foster kind of co-wrote and produced this, this song and the album. So they brought, they bring in this guy. Uh, he's 21 years old. He's a baby, and he's supposed to replace Peter Cetera. Been with the group for almost 20 years. So they, they he gets handed this song, and he says to David Foster, "So how do you want me to sing it?" He goes, "Eh, sing it like Cetera." <laughs> so this is him doing his Peter Cetera impression. It does sound a little bit like Peter Cetera, but Chicago was able to continue on after losing. A major member, because we just had Ballerina Girl by Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie leaving the Commodores effectively kind of canceled out the Commodores. They had one more hit after that. Right. Uh, you know, Chicago was still a major group after Peter Cetera left after the success of Chicago 17, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, but it just showed that the band had some staying power. Right. Right. And a group 
uh, to me, they are the poster boys for being able to redefine their sound over time. Because remember, they were such a hard-driving horn band mm-hmm. early on in the 70s. Uh, it, fabulous musicians. And they became balladeers. Right. And had a lot of success with it. Well, you can definitely hear David Foster's influence. Sure. I mean, it, you know, we talked about in the, um, you know, Don't Call Them Hair Bands episode where, uh, you know, I played the song Hide Your Heart, which was, you know, uh, you know, a Holly Knight song. Mm-hmm. Sounds just like Holly Knight. And, uh, uh, you know, there's certain songwriters that have distinct sounds. And, and if you if you say, oh, yeah, that's who it is, you're like, of course I can hear it. Yep. And that was number 13, Will You Still Love Me by the band Chicago on their Chicago 18 album. Number 12 on our top 40 list, I know, is going to bring a smile to my brother's face. Um, uh, this, this is how we know each other. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this one. And I'm just going to watch his reaction. <laughs> So what number was this? This is number 12. This is Boston yep. with their comeback. I'm ready for love. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. This is the third stage album. Yeah. The one that took so long to come out. This was... The the previous album came out... Was it still the 70s? Yeah. 1978. I, and, and so I'm thinking, as you know... It's, Scott's watching my reaction. I'm thinking because I remember this was like a big deal. It was a big deal in high school. Yeah. So in our high school, you had those guys that were rock and rollers, right? And they they would have they really would have been into that '70s, you know, rock and roll. And and Boston was you know one of those cassettes that those guys all had. Yeah. And I remember them really hyping it up. They were like came out. They were like the who's who. Yeah. I think they were on just about everybody's, you know, if you're a fan of just about any type of music in the 70s, Boston had a sound that was so their own, so unique. It was rock, but it Mm -hmm. it was very melodic. Sure. And if there's one, I think if there's one album, so now keep in mind when this this, uh, Top 40 came out, I still didn't have my driver's license yet. I was still about six months away. So I had to rely on people to drive me around places. And one of those people I had to rely on was my brother, which okay. is sitting across from yeah. me here. Um, if there's, I'd say between this, see, when we're riding in the car, in our car, for me, it's license to ill. When we're riding with your friend, your best friend, Greg Lapp, it's Boston. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that is... Right. He used to drive that Volvo car. <laughs> His mom's Volvo, yeah. And he, I, they put a pretty good sound system in that Yeah, car. yeah. And this was playing at <laughs> high volume, at number 10, or as the Spinal Tap would say, on 11. All right, so now you're getting the reaction, because now I totally remember that. And uh, to me, that, that that is... It's one of my memories right. of my sophomore you're right, year. You're right, getting in, getting into Greg's car. He was always playing this. This was on... This was like on a continuous loop. So. Although when when this then eventually then then he uh, he he got his Celica, mm-hmm. I, I think, and then so but the, the the cassette still moved over into the Celica. Yeah, but I wasn't allowed in the Celica, <laughs> so at that point Greg had moved on from me. <laughs> That's right. That that was his tape of choice. Yeah. yeah. Number twelve was "We're Ready" by Boston Third Stage, <laughs> a much anticipated album, 
and it didn't disappoint. It had several hits on it. Uh, that was one of them. Number 11, another very distinct, very 80s song that we'll recognize right away. This would be the Georgia Satellites, uh, Keep Your Hands to Yourself. So that same group of rock and rollers that love Boston, they all love this song. So remember, we went from two ballads, Lionel Richie and Chicago, and then went out a little bit more of a rocking song with Boston. Now this is that Southern rock, mm-hmm. which is the Georgia Satellites. That's why I said this countdown has everything in it. And, you know, that, that Southern rock, which you could include several bands like 38 Special, sure. like ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of got that growl to it. And that's what I thought the song was so cool because it, it has it has a growl to it. With the, with the way that they play the guitar, it's, it's, it's got a raw sound to it. Um, I imagine this gets played very well live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. A, a, an incredibly popular song. You know, there. this was... Now, I, I never owned this, personally. I didn't need to. But, you know, just like uh, with Boston Third Stage, I got to hear it enough from other people, you know, riding in their cars, that this is something that I know my friends played a lot. Yep. So that was the Georgia Satellites, number 11, with Keep Your Hands to Yourself. Now, uh, we're going to change gears a little bit as we hit the top 10. So coming in at number 10 is a fairly new artist at this particular time. Had a little career in the uh, in the United States. Samantha Fox. Samantha Fox. That's a different song, by the way. I was going to say, I don't really need to tell you the title. She just said it. <laughs> Samantha Fox. Yeah. Samantha Fox uh, was a British pinup model mm-hmm. who also happened to want to get a singing career going, and she did. She had two albums that were pretty well received in, all around the world, particularly in the United States. Oh, yeah. No, I... I I'm sure it's it's a name when when you say you know Samantha Fox that people are going to remember her, but it's not someone that's you're gonna if you have a list that you're gonna you know say who are the you know the top artists like when we had our, our ladies that rock we never we, none of us neither of us picked Samantha Fox. So what I remember about this song when it came out in high school was our high school was playing a uh, Catholic school, Lebanon Catholic, in a basketball game. So Sean and I are there. Sean's standing over with his friends. I'm standing in the, over uh, by myself at the corner of the gym. And this girl, this cheerleader from Lebanon Catholic approaches me and she says, my friends and I are practicing a dance. Would you mind if we did it for you? Okay. And I'm like, okay. And this is, this is, they sang and did this for me. <laughs> And I was. Did, did uh, they play the music or just sang no, it? No, they just sang it, and they yeah. were. It was all choreographed, and wow, it was very impressive. And that's what I said. I said it's very good. <laughs> um, no, I didn't get any phone numbers. Uh, I was a couple years away from uh, from being uh, able to talk to girls. So anyway, I've missed all that hanging out with the boys there at the along the wall. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, touch me, I want your body by Samantha Fox and. Also, thanks to the Lebanon Catholic uh, cheerleading squad for that as well. Wouldn't it be funny if there was one of those cheerleaders out there that remembers that? <laughs> uh, uh, that would be great. It was at Lancaster Mennonite High School. That's, I can, uh, that's all I can tell you. All right. We're inside the top 10 now. So we go from Samantha Fox to number nine. And 
we'll kind of let this build up a little bit as we talk because very prominently hmm. in episode hmm. number number 16 uh, Sean's Who choice could is the this be? greatest heavy metal band of all time Damn. and what a shame that this song got overplayed because it is such a great song it is because we're talking Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer well yes it has been overplayed even though it's been overplayed I still like it you know, I, I still don't hate it. I, I I need to take a break from it from time to time. But it's it's such a good song. And I, I kind of agree with what uh, Barry Goldberg says in the Goldbergs. Maybe it was Barry. One of them said that uh, this was the song of, a, of, our, of our generation. It, it, it could very well be. You could make that argument. You really could. And this, uh, at this time... January 31st, 1987. This song's going to number one. It is. Bon Jovi is the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. They are number one. We're going to have groups that are going to be ahead of them on this in this top 40. Uh, but Bon Jovi, this this is their moment in time where they rule the world in the, in the music industry. Sure. And this is the song that everybody wants to hear at a wedding. I played this song, I, you know, folks, I probably have DJed 250 to 300 weddings over the years. I think i played this 200 times in weddings, and it still gets played today. Sure. Um, to the point where, and I love the song, but between this and Don't Stop Believing, can we do something else, please? <laughs> can we? But, I mean, yeah. Like like Sean said, one of the defining songs of our of our decade, I think. It it, it, it certainly was, you know. And, and as somebody that was uh, uh, closing out the se- their senior year of high school when this was big, I, I can't really think of a bigger song at that time among the people that I knew. You know, this is one where when you pulled out the uh, the cassette and played it, or if it, it came on the radio, everybody sang along with it. Okay. So that was number nine, Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi, by some album, I think it was called Slippery. Yeah, Wet. yeah. I think I've heard of that one. So number eight is a song that, again, maybe some people have forgotten about. Um, a song that I absolutely loved it when it came out. I have always been in, into this type of music. And Sean will recognize the song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll re- remember the singer. Oh, I totally know the song. It, um, Freddie Jackson? You're close. Yeah. They both came out about the same time. It's that same sound. Exactly, yeah. It's that classic R&B. Yeah. I've been watching you. This is Gregory Abbott. Gregory, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. Boy, there, there's a lot of this, this R&B influence in the charts. I think that's one of the genres that kind of gets forgotten about in the 80s. That Jeffrey Osborne, Anita Baker, Uh, Freddie Jackson. There was so much good classic R&B that came out in the 80s. And one of the the things I used to like about working out in the Philadelphia area is there was a radio station, and on Fridays... They would they would play classic throwback jams. It was mm-hmm. it WDSB? I think. And Friday afternoons they would play uh, R and B classics like this. And you go from Gregory Abbott to Anita Baker to mm-hmm. Freddie Jackson to Luther Vandross. 
this was a good time for R&B. Jeffrey sure. Osborne. So there's a lot of good songs that were coming out. And this know, is one of them. And, and as we've said before, some of these other songs, there's a little bit of an 80s sound going on in the background. So to me, that sounds like an electric uh, drum. You know, it's it's so it's it's of the time. But if you would just you know tweak the instrument a little bit, you know, once again, it's it's a straight up R&B song. Yeah, and this is going to make a comeback, even more so than what it has. And I know right now. People are going through the, the soft rock slash yacht yeah. rock. This is going to make a comeback, um, if it hasn't already. And, uh, you know, Shaky Down, Gregory Abbott, was, uh, it's just a great R&B song. Wasn't a, I went back and listened to a couple other songs that he had. Yeah. For me, it was, this is kind of it. It's the only one I, I remember. But and even it, then, I don't remember his name. It's a very, you know, it's a very um, timeless sound, I think. Yeah. So that is our number eight song. And, and I personally like that sound from, from the era. You know, obviously, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a special time for me in my life being the end of high school. But I, I still like that synthesizer sound. I like that electronic drum sound that it's not overdone, especially on that song. It's just slight. It's just there in the background. But I, I you know, as you say about it making a comeback, I, I would agree. I think it's good music. Absolutely. So that was our number eight song. Number seven. And again, we're gonna another slow song, but it's change of gears here with a different different type of sound from a different group. So this is Glass Tiger. Glass Tiger is correct. Yeah. I, I don't remember the actual title of this song, Someday. Or, you, know. you got it. All right, Someday. And once again, that, that very 1986, 1987, very kind of a synthy sound going in the background. It, it sounds like it could be from any of the movie soundtracks from that era. You know, it could have been in the movie Mannequin. You know, it, it has that kind of time period stamp on it. Yeah. I think... What kind of put Glass Tiger on the map was their first song, Don't Forget Me sure. When You're Gone, with which Brian Adams, Adams, in the background. Adams in the background. And that was kind of the cool thing, is there would be established artists who would go on and support mm-hmm. some up-and-comer. And I don't know what association Brian Adams had with Glass Tiger. I know they're, all, they're both from Canada. I think they, they were using the, the same producer or something like that. But it kind of helped give it give them some notoriety it made you pay a little more attention mm-hmm. to the song and don't forget me when you're gone was a good song mm-hmm. in its own right and it, this was the ballad you know kind of the but the thing I like about this song is it's not too slow so it's a little bit of a, of a yeah, I guess you could consider it a slow song but it's a little fa- too fast to dance to so yeah. it's not like somebody you're not going to be playing this at the high school or the uh, middle school dance, right? But in, in many ways, I, I I like this this song more than some of the prettier ballads. Sure, you know that as you said, you kind of like that genre uh, of, of music probably more than what I do. I can appreciate it, but I like this sound. And again, much like uh, Tom Kiefer singing "I'm Not Your Fool," right? Uh, he's basically saying you're going to regret me being <laughs> gone. So. Uh, 
That's one of the things I, I appreciate it too. It's not your straight up, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's right. Like, hey, I'm better than you think I am. So <laughs> I could always, uh, I thought that was pretty good. So that was number seven, Glass Tiger. Um, someday off of their Thin Red Line album. Number six, one of the defining artists of the 1980s. And this was her uh, breakout album. And we'll... Uh, this is a story about control. Would that be Miss Janet Jackson? Miss Jackson, if you can ask uh, Control of what I say, control of what I do. She's talking about control. And I think so. I'm yeah. do it my way. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Well, I'd enjoy it more if you started the song. <laughs> Once again, not uh, this intro was not uh, part of the radio mix. And I've got lots of it. Although I do remember my sophomore social at LMH. And a shout out to some friends of mine because we had a lip sync competition. Okay. And it was... Andrea Oberholzer, mm-hmm. now Andrea Brubaker. Uh, Monique Stauffer, now Monique Rittenhouse. Janelle Byler, who tragically passed away many years ago. Uh, and Ann Lehman slash Dillman did this. And they were quite good. Okay. They had the whole dance routine down. Mm-hmm. I guess they basically copied the video. And it was impressive. I had to give, I had to give props to them. They, they did not win the lip sync contest, and I honestly thought they should have. Who won? It was, um, they did Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. It was Tim Muller and Matt Warfel and Daryl Newswanger. And I'm trying to remember who else was in that. But they were, they lip synced to that. And they weren't too much. But did they dance? They did not. And yeah. I would I would have totally voted for this one. Oh, yeah. So, but let's get to the song. <laughs> um, breakthrough album for Janet Jackson. And she took it even further with Rhythm Nation Mm -hmm. 1812 after this but uh, she very much became her own artist I I don't she was always you know when you're in the Jackson family there's always going to be that kind of attachment Uh, but this really solidified her as her own artist and you know she's working with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and you know you had said, you talked about earlier that you can kind of hear some of the uh, the Minneapolis influence on some of the music, and you know Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were, were you know they were originally uh, with Morris Day in the time, you know, so they were part of the, the Prince family. So there's definitely that uh, that Minnesota funk that uh, was going on here, and I, I think you know it was a great marriage for Janet to work with them in that it allowed her to be different than Michael. Sure. And I think it was I think it was Terry Lewis made the comment that when they first agreed to work with her, they really had no idea what to expect. She was so timid. Mm-hmm. And she really blossomed during the whole recording process. And she really did become the control, the you know, the the songwriting that became involved. She became quite involved with the making the music making process she really did she kind of grew up before their eyes is what right. is what he was trying to allude she to she was young she was I don't even know if she was 20 when the album came out no because I think she's my age so she probably was 18 19 years old yeah. at the time and um, 
but this really, you know, established her. I won't say solidified, but established her as one of the better female singers mm-hmm. of the decade. And then she again, you know, goes to the next level with Rhythm Nation 1812. So that was our number six song, "Control" by Janet Jackson, off of her um, the same title album, "Control." Number five. Let's see if you remember this one. Okay. Okay. Number five. You think I would remember? That's a big hit. Well, you're gonna you're. See how quickly you pick up on it. You're gonna recognize the singer very quickly once she starts to open her mouth. So it sounds like Taylor Dane. No, it's not Taylor Dane. All right. See, I thought I'd uh, jump on that one right away. Taylor Dane comes out the next year. Oh, it's Cindy Lauper. There you go. Yeah, sure, I remember this song. Yeah. Don't hear it too much anymore. No. This is Change of Heart. That's interesting because, you know, you know, we've talked a lot about She's So Unusual. Right. And all the big hits that were off of that. And I remember it be, this being a hit at the time, but you are correct. It's one that seems to have been forgotten. Her second album, which is called True Colors. Yeah, I remember this song totally. This, this is a good song. And I think this She's So Unusual got so much. People remember that one so much. But I think she actually won a Grammy for this one. Okay. I think she won a Grammy for her best pop performance or best pop vocalist. Mm-hmm. Um, very critically well-received and uh, unfortunately didn't sell as well as her first album. But I think in terms of quality, she was a more mature singer at this point. She's um, did a little bit more on her own than she did. Because remember, she worked with uh, Rick Chertoff. And uh, I'm in Eric Brazilian. Correct. Yeah. From the group that we're not going to mention in this particular <laughs> episode because we, we told ourselves we weren't going to do that. Um, so this is a little bit more of a step out on her own, but this was a very well received album. And much like what else was going on at the time, you can hear there's it, there's definitely definitely a style where it's kind of danceable yes. in a way. There's as we're in that 1986-1987 era, there's there's more of an upbeat to the music. Whereas, you know, Scott said, while we're, it wasn't a disco era, we're, we're, it's an era where people did kind of want to dance and, and have some danceable music. You're, you're definitely starting to see more of that come to the forefront, like, like we talked about. You know, I think people wanted to get away from the dance club vibe uh, because of disco and, and how, you know, I guess the residue from or the fallout from the disco era, but around 1985, you started to see it come back. Obviously, you had the new romantics. Um, you know, people liked, enjoyed going to clubs and listening to music, and the dancing was a little bit different. Now you're starting to get more into the type of music where you can just blend from one song to the next. That didn't exist for for a few years. And uh, you're, you're starting to see that come back into play now. Yeah, the DJs would do those kind of extended mixes, yeah. and, and Scott's right. It would blend from one song right into the next song. Yeah, so they would just play that, that uh, you know, I'm guilty of it doing, too, where you have that, that beat track in the background, mm-hmm. and you kind of go from one song to the next. Well, I remember, I forget which radio station I used to listen to. Who was it that would do that on a consistent basis? Weren't they live from one of the clubs in, in Philadelphia? Yeah, as a matter of fact, the guy still does it. Um yeah, what is his name? He's on he's on Oldies ninety eight, uh, but he's been he's been doing the um, 
Oh, it'll come to me. Yeah, because but I remember I would tune in, you know, on occasion and listen to the the, the club mix. Well, I, f- I forget which radio station that would go live from Pulsations, yeah. which was uh, yeah. out near media. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it would just be that constant, sure. that constant beat. Yeah. So that was Cindy Lauper, number five, Change of Heart, off of her True Colors album. Number four, uh, very signature song for, for this particular band. Well, this is Genesis. This is Land of Confusion. Correct. What do you remember most about the song? I remember the puppets in the video. The video, yeah. Credit them for coming up with something that was extremely memorable. Yeah. This was Phil Collins probably at the height of his powers. No jacket required to come out a year or two before. He had just performed it Live Aid, mm-hmm. both venues. And then Genesis comes out with an album that equals no jacket required so it we were on phil collins overload right at this point unfortunately right and it, it is unfortunate because i i do remember at the beginning of the decade really liking mm-hmm. phil collins and and really liking genesis i remember the the album and the song abacab oh yeah i thought it was really cool and this song kind of has that similar genesis sound to it where this isn't the, the standard uh, Phil Collins pop music that he would come out with, which, it, to his credit, it you know he, it, it was different. So even though it was still Phil Collins, and it, there was never a year throughout the 80s where you didn't have him on the charts. Correct. Just because he was churning it out. And even, you know, Mike Rutherford, you talk about Mike and the Mechanics, you can still kind of hear Mike, you know, playing the guitar there in the background. Right. Yeah. And... Land uh, Invisible Touch ended up being Genesis, you know, their most successful album of all time. So uh, they sold, I think, upwards of eleven or twelve million copies in the United States. Hmm. So it was it was a very successful album for them, and uh, this was again one of the most memorable videos right of that era with the with the puppets and um, so that was Genesis Land of Confusion off the Invisible Touch album, and I'm going to bring another smile to my brother's face. Because I know he's going to like this song as well. One of his, one of those, one of those singers that he'll bring the song back from time to time. Say la vie, say la vie, Robbie Neville. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get played enough. What a great set, <laughs> Robbie. I mean, this when the song came out, it caught my attention oh, yeah. because it's it's different. And it's so, it, to me, it's got such a cool vibe to it. Sure. And, you know, there probably was a time or two I walked down the hallways of school singing this song. Say la vie. Mm hmm. It's about the only French I'm ever going to know. <laughs> and creme de la creme. Yeah, that's right. I, I did say that wow, at the it's beginning. in the same episode. How about that? Yeah. We don't have any listeners from France that I know of. It's pro- <laughs> probably a good thing. But yeah, you know, th- this was, uh, once again, another one of those songs that I, I, I don't know if people remember how big it was. You know, he's, you know, Robbie Neville's basically a one-hit wonder. Hey, he had some other things that, you know, kind of made the charts here or there. But for the most part, this is the song that you remember. This is the song everybody remembers. And we're at number three. Which is kind of, you know, interesting that he never really had more. Because if you are going to craft an ideal pop song... This is it right here. Sure. Absolutely. Very well done. 
Um, it's catchy. It's got it's you know it's it's got that beat to it. It's very upbeat. Mm-hmm. It it you know has good vocals. It has interesting vocals. It's got some interesting French lyrics. It does. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is his debut album, Robbie Neville, number three, and the song C'est la Vie. Number two, uh, one of the most famous artists of the 1980s, one of the most famous artists of all time. And I mean, who doesn't remember this song? So obviously it's Madonna. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could argue that Madonna is the biggest star of the 80s. I, I, I mean, she's up there. She's up there I, with Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, somebody like a Bruce Springsteen had moments where he was up there. But from start of the decade to the end of the decade, Madonna's near the top. You know, this song just came on the radio about two days ago. And it made me think because I, I was just, I started to pay attention to her voice. She got a lot of, she was always criticized for having kind of a, a small kind of a girly voice mm-hmm. with the with her previous albums. Um, she got a lot of praise for her expansion as a singer, but if you listen to this this chorus, and I thought to myself, you know, she's not that far away from like a Pat Benatar or somebody that could have. If, so, if she ever would have thrown a lot of guitars or made like a rock-type mm-hmm. version song, I think she would have been really good at it. Kind of like Janet Jackson's Black Cat. Yeah. I think she would have been able to craw- do that crossover because I never thought of her as a rock singer because she focused so much on pop music. And dance music. Right. But I thought, you know what? Her voice did get better over time. Mm-hmm. And she became a better singer. Uh, certainly with this album here, True Blue. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, you know, I wish she would have done something like that or tried it. Uh, you, you're right. With with the True Blue album, she she changes her singing style. You know, she definitely now has a has a deeper voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, you take like the very beginning when you know, Lucky Star might have been the first time I ever saw her or heard her. This, you know, it's not even close to being the same voice. And the one thing that people that knew Madonna have have always said about her, no matter what she's done in her professional life. And she's been criticized for making, you know, bad movies. Um, but anybody that's ever worked with her, they will always tell you she throws her. I mean, she she gives it everything. Mm-hmm. She's a very hard worker. And for this, the upcoming for this album, True Blue, she had done Like a Virgin before, which was hugely successful. She was coming off of two big albums. She completely changes kind of her singing voice. Mm-hmm. Her look. I mean, she, she took cuts a, her hair. She took a song. lot of chances. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we ever said the title of the song. It's "Open Your Heart," right? Yes. Yeah. And um, but with with her, um, you know, she worked very hard on her singing. Like she took a lot of vocal lessons, and they they said she was a very hard worker, and she did that with with retraining her voice and her sound. Now, and she's a little bit different than a lot of the other artists. <laughs> That we, you know, we talked about. I'd said earlier that when you could write your own songs, it, it helps you stay on top for a long time. I don't think Madonna really wrote anything. What she was good at was she could could take m- songs and music that were brought to her, yeah, 
and she could play with them and kind of rearrange them. And she wasn't necessarily somebody that was going to make a song from scratch, but sure. she was really good at taking a song and kind of make putting her sa- signature sound mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And she was, I, I think, she always co-produced her albums and probably doesn't get enough credit for that because they, they said she's very good at that. She could take she could take a song that anybody would write and she's like, uh, you know, I think yeah, I can and she'll craft that into mm-hmm. what would be a Madonna song. And fortunately for her, she had enough of a machine around her that she got really good songs given to her. Yeah. So that was our number two song. So that finally brings us to number one here okay. in our top forty list. January thirty first, nineteen eighty seven. Sean's senior year of high school. What what would be some of your what would you say would be some of your best memories of your senior year in high school? Well, obviously, you know, we go into the fall. You know, Scott and I were, were athletes, and, you know, I, I I was part of a very successful soccer team. You know, we um, – um, in Pennsylvania, we have districts, and so we were the first district champion ever from our school, and we were – we were at the time, you know, one of the highest ranked teams in the state. And of course we then lost in states, but you know, that's another story. But so, you know, obviously the, the culmination of the soccer career and um, just w- when the soccer career kind of ended, I, I, I basically went from having a very structured life, uh, very sports oriented to then throwing myself into just totally enjoying uh, high school. And so much like Madonna changed her style with her albums, I changed my approach and became uh, not very as regimented and as as uptight, and I became a you know a much more social butterfly. And uh, I, I just remember hanging out a lot and and just on, I don't know if you saw me much at that time. Well, it was around right around this time where <clears throat> you started to kind of reemerge, and I would say that. We probably did more things towards the end of your senior year than we did in the beginning of your senior year. Yeah, because the, to play to play soccer at at our school um, and it's still you know a, a big soccer kind of powerhouse in, in Pennsylvania, it's it was a lot of pressure, and you you kind of had to isolate yourself, and there were a lot of requirements, and there were curfews, and you you know it was if you're bare, well, I don't know if I'd put a lot of time on my schoolwork, but you barely got your schoolwork done uh, with all the practicing and everything mm-hmm. you had to do, so. While it was, you know, kind of tough when it finally ended, in a way it was kind of a relief because now you could kind of lead a normal life. And for all of us Gen Xers, college wasn't the expectation that was for so many people today. And I think senior year in high school for a lot of folks represented adulthood. You know, you're graduating. uh, You know, some, a lot of kids would end up going on to college and continuing that social life mm-hmm. but a lot of us worked um you know sean and i are both individuals that went and got our college degrees much later uh, in our 30s and 40s yeah because you know it's got us we've talked about stories of me in college right out of high school which is true and then i left and then went back later on yeah and i didn't go f- at all from uh from the time i graduated so i think high school senior year for for many of, of us gen xers represented you know, to quote the famous John Cougar Mellencamp song, you know, about... Hold on to 16 as long as you can. Yeah, because... Changes the, come around real soon, making women and men. And that's and that's kind of... It was like that dose of reality that, hey, this is this is the end of the run here. Uh, I'm allowed to be a kid now, but 
you know, come graduation time, I'm going to have to get a job. Well, I, you know, I had a lot of really good friends. You know, I'm still in touch with a, a lot of my friends from high school, even now. I know, which, you know, surprises a lot of people, but, you know, I, on a regular basis, still get together with some of them. And I just remember really enjoying um, my senior year, the, the second half, well, the three quarters uh, of my senior year, where we were, um, you know, we constantly were going around different people's houses, and and we we had a group of of guys that hung out on one night, and then a group of girls that we hung out with on another night. So every weekend we had the two things going on, and it uh, just a lot of good times, uh, a lot of laughing, a lot of movies, a lot of um, um, you know going to the beach. That, mm-hmm. that was a big thing. The moment the weather broke, we we started going to the beach on the weekends, and it's just a lot of fond memories, and you know you know, listen to a lot of music. And and we were fortunate because when we would go down the shore to Ocean City, New Jersey, uh, we had friends whose parents had sure. places. Mm-hmm. And you could basically go anytime you wanted to. So it's not like it is today where if you want to have a, a shore house, you got to rent it out to make money to, to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, there's no Airbnb back then. No, it's like, all right, uh, the house the house is empty. We're not using it right now, yeah. so go ahead. Go ahead, boys. You know, don't break anything. <laughs> right. And you would head down at 16, 17 years old. It was not that big of a deal for us to drive, you know, three hours away and go go to the beach on a weekend. So, um, yeah, so that, I just wanted to kind of run that by you as far as your senior year and see what some of these memories were for you. Any ideas on number one? Can you think back to the era? And, uh, well, t- uh, is this something that was more of a ballad type of song? Oh, yeah. Oh. Definitely a ballad. Okay. Definitely a ballad. In 1987. Yeah, and I'll give you a hint. It was okay. a, very much a one-hit wonder. Oh, then I'm not sure okay. who that would be. All right. All right so, it, it's a very instantly recognizable song. And Was it on the charts for a long time? It was. Oh, Billy... Vader and the what Beaters or whatever his name what? Billy Vera and the Beaters there you go Billy, Billy Vera and the Beaters yeah this is the uh, Family Ties song that's right With tears Michael J. Fox or Alex P. Keaton yeah and what did his wife play what was Ellen yeah it was Ellen mm-hmm. and she, she was on the show Tracy in real life in real life her name's Tracy but yeah no this was this was the memorable Family ties, kind of, almost like a breakup scene. It was. Yeah, this is where they part. Yeah. Where she's going to Franklin and Marshall College in, in, uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. In Lancaster. Yeah. With that hideous little train station that they had. Our train station is much bigger than that, by the way. It's one of they didn't have a cow walking through the train station at the time. Yeah. Um, but this you want to talk about playing a song at a school dance sure yeah no this is a song that definitely got played you know among uh, my group of friends for sure and where did Billy Vera and the Beaters just they they came out of nowhere and and I think the story behind this is Michael J. Fox saw them playing at a at a bar. Okay, and they played the song, and it struck him instantly that he said, "That's the song we have to have for that scene." So they kind of brought it in, and uh, it's a great song mm-hmm. because there's so much emotion behind it. 
and well, I, Billy Vera is doing a great job, you know, singing. You know, we keep talking, saying time and time again about someone singing their heart out, and uh, he's doing that here. You know, Billy Vera um, looked like I, when I read his bio, wrote songs for other folks, had a relatively happening performing career, like at live clubs, and was one of those guys who just kind of missed his window. And this was like his second chance. He was a bit older, right? He was much older. I think he was in his late 30s when when the song came out. Well, here's another song that's not romantic at all. No. However, the guy's putting his heart and soul into it. As Rob Fisher would say, (laughs) he's singing his heart out, Sean. Um, Ah, Rob Fisher. But uh, to me, this... This is one of those, and they, they talk about one-hit wonders. This really is one of the defining, to me, one-hit wonders because sure. this, is, this is a guy who uh, you knew he had his moment, at, like his 15 minutes of fame, mm-hmm. and then he just kind of stepped back. Now, he did go on to sing the theme song to the King of Queens. Oh, did he? Yeah, that was okay. him. Uh, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, who Sean has rem- you know said... I reminded him of, uh, you know, Kevin James in the show. Sure. Uh, but he did sing the theme song to that. But he was a one-hit wonder. Uh, but this was a one-hit wonder that went all the way to number one. Then we're going to close things out with that. Yeah, it would have taken me a while to come up with this song. Um, but Scott is... It is is right you know this was a hit and this was a huge huge song from that era yeah one i think for many uh, many gen xers that is that really is a defining song that i was 15 when it came out um but if you know if you're 16 17 18 years old if you had a girlfriend or boyfriend at the time and i'm sure i am sure that that song was uh played around you or your group of friends at one point or another. So uh, thoughts on the top 40 in general? What what you thought of the... I thought my opinion was it just showed how broad and, and what, what the 80s had to offer in music. I, I think it's amazing that you could have 40 songs and I liked every one of them. It, it I There's no way that could happen today. I don't know if that would have happened 10, 20 years ago where you, you can just from top to bottom play a song and and one person would would listen to that top 40 say you listen to Casey Kasem Mm -hmm. and from start to finish you like everything like when when they're coming out at the time obviously this is our era but when this this would have come out and I would have listened to Casey Kasem over the weekend and he's he's playing these songs I'm like oh yeah yeah I like that song I like that song and it's just incredible to think that we were privileged enough to live through that era and experience that but how many how many different genres or types of music did we did we cover in just these forty songs? And that is one of my favorite things about that era. Mm-hmm. It, it's that you liked a little bit of everything. I you know really liked R and B. I really liked the hard rock. I liked the dance music, and nobody had a problem with you liking all those things. Yeah, uh, except maybe James Ingram and Linda Ronstadt from American <laughs> Tale. But I like that song. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. It was, yeah. I, it, I, I didn't hate it, and at the time, I was—I I never would have been like, say, 
how could you listen to that? <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm probably not going to go out and buy that one. So that's going to wrap it up for the top 40, January 31st, 1987. I thought it was one of the better top 40 countdowns from 40 to 1 of of the whole decade and and that's why i decided to choose that one so a time when i was roaming the hallways of high school trying to be as social as possible befriending as many people as i could uh, i was the era of levi's jeans and jean jackets <laughs> uh collared shirts not tucked in with uh tennis shoes or sneakers well and you say like what are my memories and and scott said you know how i, I kind of like you know, blossomed in a way and kind of changed. I went from this 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 tightly wound uh, athlete, just stressed out all the time. And thank you, Coach Vernon Rice, for that. Who <laughs> it was intentional to to basically have us all on edge. And then when it changed, I remember uh, a girl saying to me one time, "Wow, you're a lot nicer now." <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's good. That was my turn. So at this point, we're going to preview episode eighteen. So I'm going to turn it over to Sean. All right. So I'm I'm going to. Um, Stay where we, with a way that we can still have some music because uh, I like what we're doing here, playing the music. And this stems from a conversation I actually had a week or so ago with a group of people. And the the subject came out about how you know some artists have sold their catalogs and how some now songs are being used in commercials. And I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of songs from Generation X that were uh, have become pretty popular commercials and also when during the gen x era there were songs that would have been played for maybe the 60s or so that were really big commercials okay so my and we don't need to rank this just kind of kind of come up with you know a list kind of how you do with the movies Mm -hmm. where we'll come up a list of songs popular songs not just not jingles but these were popular songs that also became memorable commercials okay um I think I know where you're going with this. So yeah. that became a really big thing in the 80s. It did. Yeah, to the point where you couldn't market just, you know, many products unless you had some type of a of a song to go with it. Exactly right. And it was kind of controversial at first because when some of the bigger catalogs like from the Beatles might have been right. might have been sold and Michael Jackson now took control and now he's selling off the rights to commercials. Yeah. Uh, and so the question was, are they a sellout? Is it right to do this? And so I just remember that kind of being a big thing at the time. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be our topic for next episode, episode number 18. So uh, as we bring John Sebastian back, um, just folks, so you understand, uh, if you go on to Spotify, I have made this countdown available for you to view from number 40 to number one. And so if you go on to Spotify and you type in January 31st, 1987, the playlist should show up. So that way you can play it from number one all the way down to number 40. I think it was, uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the better top 40 sound, uh, you know, lists of the entire decade. And hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully it brought back some good memories. Might not have been your senior year in high school. It wasn't mine, but for me, it still brought back a lot of good memories. It was a good time. It was a good time. And, you know, we have said earlier that we're all about the memories here at Gen X Playback. And for me, having graduated in 1987, that was a good time. Well, for Gen X Playback, we thank you for listening. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. See you.